Good morning. Good morning. How's everybody doing this morning? Doing well? Hey, to get us enthused, everyone, why don't we stand up? Stand up. (laughs) Go ahead and stretch a little bit like this. Do your favorite stretch of choice. Tell the person next to you the funniest thing you've seen online in the past week. On your mark, get set, go. Okay, you can be seated. (laughs) Funniest thing that I've seen, it's actually something that I saw way back in like 2010 or something. It was this German guy who was just in gym shorts and not wearing anything else in the middle of winter doing a cannonball trying to break through ice on a pond that it iced over. (laughs) And he says something in German, poses for the camera, runs and jumps, and then hits the ice. The ice is not phased at all. (laughs) He makes a sound of pain that somehow is very hilarious at the same time. Look it up. We're going to continue talking about worship this morning, and the title of my message is Worshiping the King with Passion and a Pure Heart. There are two ways that the enemy always tries to pervert or distort worship. And when I'm talking about worship right now, I'm talking about the part of a corporate gathering of believers where we worship together. The enemy always tries to pervert it in two ways. First, or distort it, he tries to make it as unenthusiastic and as apathetic as possible. He, <laughs> he doesn't like it when we worship with passion. But secondly, he tries to get us to worship for our own benefit, in a sense. Like, I can't wait for worship. God's going to do some amazing things in me. I'm going to really feel happier. I'm going to really feel more peaceful. I'm going to really feel more joyful. And really, at the end of the day, we realize that we're actually worshiping ourselves in our own experience rather than God. So what I believe the Lord wants for our worship is that it would be both passionate and coming from a pure heart. John 4:24 Van read this last week says God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. I always have thought of this passage as saying our worship should be spirited, so passionate and true. It should be sincere, it should be pure, it should be Um, clean, in a sense. And I still think that's what it says, but interestingly, I read a 
theologian and biblical commentator who viewed it as the opposite, that when Jesus says our worship must be in spirit and truth, that spirit is actually referring to the pure heartness of our worship, and truth is referring to the fact that it should be zealous and passionate. And then I read another commentator that said that Spirit means one thing, and truth actually is where passion and purity of heart both lie. Regardless, passion and a pure heart are important when it comes to worship. It's important that we worship God with zeal and that we worship him with a pure heart. So what I would love for all of us to do this morning is to find a way that we can take a step of growth in worshiping with greater zeal for God and worshiping with healthy, righteous motives and a mindset. So let's start with passion. First point, God's desire is that we would worship with passion. He's not wanting us just to during worship be like, Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. How he loves us, so oh, how he loves us. <laughs> I mean, imagine if Christmas, for any of you who have kids, or if you don't have kids, imagine if you did Christmas morning, you are so excited to give this gift to your little boy or little girl, they open it up and they're just like, oh, wow, thanks, Mom. Thanks, Dad. I love it. No, God wants us to worship him with passion. It actually, our passion for him moves his heart. Just like the joy that you see. And it doesn't even have to be your kids. I mean, I'm the classic gift giver where and especially my wife, Jamie, but me to both of us, where once we buy a gift for someone, we just want to give it to them early. We don't want to wait. Just take it. We're almost more excited to give a gift than to receive a gift. Is there anyone in there that can relate with that? What's happening there? What's happening is that our hearts are moved when we see other people's hearts are moved. When, When another person experiences joy, it brings us joy. Same is true with God. And so his desires that we would worship with passion. Romans 12, 11 says this, do not be slothful in zeal or passion. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Now, what I'm not saying is that we need to fake passion. And that's kind of the weird thing or interesting thing about passion is that just telling someone, hey, be more passionate. Like, okay, how? How do I just be, if I'm not feeling passionate, how do I just be, do I fake it? Um, Do I be inauthentic? Do I pretend and hope that it just kind of happens? So when, and we've all been there, when we're feeling apathy, it can be confusing as to how we're supposed to move forward. There's a verse in Revelation 2 where Jesus is actually talking about how a person's passion or first love, kind of like honeymoon love for him, can be restored. And he says three interesting things. Remember from where you've fallen, repent, 
and do the works that you did at first. And there's a lot in there to unpack, but what we need to do when we realize that we have lost some of our passion is first take some time to remember when we did have that passion. Remember a time that we did, it might have been when we first came to know the Lord and we first accepted him or when he, when he came through for us in an amazing way, but actually taking time to remember back to some of those testimonies in our lives as we enter into worship is a great way to fuel our heart's passion for God. But another thing that we have to be conscious of is that it's not always going to, we're not always going to feel hyped up and ready to go when we gather with other believers to worship corporately. We're just not always going to have that passion already there. And so the question is, should we let our internal state in those moments dictate how we worship or should we try to worship more passionately and see what happens, see if that feels passion in us. And I think the, a healthy way to look at this is for any of you who can remember, think back to a romantic relationship where the first time you held hands with the person that you were romantically involved with. I remember it with my wife, Jamie. We kind of knew that we were interested in each other, but we hadn't vocalized it at that point. And we were sitting next to each other, watching The Office. Her hand was like here. My hand was here. We're just looking straight ahead. And, and all of a sudden, I grab her hand, right? And, it, you know, it was just, you know, sorry for those of you that are vomiting right now. This, <laughs> and it was just, you know, amazing, right? I, I, I just felt that, I felt that excitement and, and, that, and that love. And I would say that now, seven years after that, I still hold Jamie's hand, but it's not like, when I go to grab her hand, I'm just like, oh man, this is gonna be good. <laughs> no, I hold her hand because I love her and I don't wait to feel that love for her to hold her hand, right? Same is true, I think, with worship. We don't fake it, but we worship, we worship God because we know that we love him and we, and we do love him even if we aren't feeling those emotions of love in that given moment. Does that make sense? So we don't fake passion. We're not pretending to be excited, but we also don't let our lack of emotion compromise our worship of him. We don't let that dictate how we worship him. God wants our worship to be passionate. David exemplified this in 2 Samuel 6.22. This was his attitude after he was accused of embarrassing himself. Yes, and I am willing to look even more foolish than this, even to be humiliated in my own eyes. David did not care what people around him thought. He worshiped the Lord 
with passion. Now, sometimes we can think that passionate worship is just for extroverts. I'm going to talk to you introverts for a second because I am one of you, big time. We can think that, oh, the extroverted, the extroverts, passionate worship is for them. For us, we're, we're more reflective and, and contemplative and more intellectual. So we'll just think about God during worship. And they can all clap their hands and shout and sing. And, and, and we'll be introverts over here. <laughs> well, I'm sorry to tell you, and I wish it were true, but introvertedness does not exempt us from the commands of Christ. We're not, introverts aren't exempt, exempt from being fishers of people. Introverts aren't exempt from practicing hospitality. Introverts aren't exempt from being good Samaritans. Introverts, we have to do it too. We, and you know what? We love our times in the morning with just us and a cup of coffee and the Lord and no one else around. And you know what? Extroverts, for some of them, they, have, they do that out of discipline. They spend that time reading the Bible and being with the Lord in that way out of discipline because they would much rather be talking about the Bible with another human being. But so regardless of how your personality is wired, it doesn't exempt us from this. And introverts are not exempted from passionate worship. But with that said, I think a lot of you introverts in here who don't love to worship passionately and just anyone in here, whether you might be an extrovert and you don't love to worship passionately, I think that you actually do. I think that raising up your hands and jumping up and down and clapping and shouting is actually a whole lot more natural for you than you may realize. I want everyone to think back to, this might be too soon, if so, I'm sorry. Think back to the Bengals making it to the Super Bowl. Okay? Think, where were you when that happened and what were you doing? Let's roll that video. In case you need me to jog your memory. Why are you kicking on third down there? If it is a drop. All right, do it again. Don't tell me that it's just not in my makeup to raise my hands or to jump up and around or to clap or to shout if that was you four weeks ago when the Bengals made it to the Super Bowl. And I'm not saying, I'm, that's really just a tongue-in-cheek kind of funny example, but it's true. Like, 
if I can dance around, I mean, there were grown men in there dancing around the room, hugging each other and crying. If we, I'm, I'm gonna speak to men for a second. Not, it's not only men that deal with this, but often. Men, if we can, if, if we can express ourselves in that way for a Bengals game, we can do it for the Lord too. Now, you don't have to, I'm not, if, you, if you've never worshiped beyond just maybe with your, you know, just kind of standing, if you've never worshiped beyond that level of expressiveness, I'm not saying you have to go from that to jumping around and dancing today, but why don't you take a step? Why don't you try raising a hand? And you know what? The first time you do something like that, it might feel, it might not feel natural, it might not feel right, but what you're doing is you're bringing your body into submission to what God's doing in the room. And you're saying, Lord, I am willing to express my worship to you in a way beyond just whatever you were doing before. And that's a good lead into my next point, that passionate worship is expressive. Paul said, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies, everyone say bodies, bodies as a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. When Paul says bodies there, he's talking about your whole person, not just your body, but he emphasizes body so that we know that there is no confusion here. Worship is bodily. Worship is expressive. Worship is not just something that happens internally. If you don't believe me, let's take a look at some scriptures. First Chronicles 16.9, sing to him, sing praises to him, speak of all his wonders. That's one of many. Worship, when you're gathered together in this kind of a setting at least, it does involve singing. It's not just thinking. It's, it involves singing. But not just singing. Psalm 47.1 says, Clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout to God with a voice of joy. Clapping is a part of worship. Shouting is a part of worship. And then Psalm 154, praise him with tambourine and dancing. Praise him with stringed instruments and flute. Musical accompaniment to worship is biblical. And dancing is a biblical part of worship. I clearly remember the first time I ever, I wouldn't actually call it dancing, but <laughs> the first time that I danced during worship. It was 2013. I was with a number of young adults at a conference in Kansas City, Missouri called One Thing. And we're up front worshiping and at that point in time, I loved to raise my hands during worship. That was my comfort zone. And, but all of a sudden, uh-oh, they're going into a fast song. And the band starts playing a fast song. And everyone around me starts jumping up and down. You know, and, it, and it's funny. We call that the charismatic white person jump. It's just kind of like this, you know. <laughs> and I'd never done that. And what my natural instinct was, was to shrink away. But I felt the Lord saying, why not? Why wouldn't you worship me that way? And so I'm like, all right. So I 
step back into it and I start jumping with the group and I hated every second of it (laughs) until I stopped. I hated it. But something broke off of me in that moment. The fear of what other people are thinking about me broke off of me. Restriction broke off of me. And the next time, it felt a little easier until I got to, I've gotten to a point where I, I'm, not, I'm not arrived by any means. I have more, express, I think the Lord wants to do even more expressiveness in my worship. But if I want to worship the Lord with dancing or with movement, it's something that I do with joy now. And so it's, it really is a progression. Last one, uh, Psalm 134.2. Lift up your hands to the sanctuary and bless the Lord. Lifting up our hands is a biblical way of expressing our worship to God. And passionate worship, something about it that is especially important for me to talk about in our church because of kind of our church's culture Passionate worship looks like switching in and out of leading yourself in worship and being led in worship. You see, we're a church that values song-based worship and prophetic worship. Song-based is planning songs to sing. We usually have four songs that we plan to sing, but if you add up those four songs, it's about 24 minutes on average, and we usually have at least 35 minutes, sometimes 40 minutes for worship. So the other time is usually dedicated to what I'm calling prophetic worship. Now, this scripture is not going to be up on the screen, but in Ephesians 5, Paul says, Do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit as you sing songs and hymns and spiritual songs. So songs and hymns would be songs that were pre-written that most of the people would know or it would be easy for them to learn and sing. But spiritual songs, what I believe Paul is talking about there, are those prophetic lines, those prophetic choruses, those prophetic lyrics that we sing without necessarily planning on it. Now, you might be thinking, why, what is actually happening in those moments? Like, what do we believe? Is God, is he, is he what is actually, why, why are we even doing prophetic worship? And the reason that we do prophetic worship is that we believe when we worship, it's not just a one-way thing that's happening. It's not just God sitting up in heaven on his throne like, ah, yes, worship me. That'd be fine if that's what it was. He's worthy of it. But when we worship, God actually responds to our worship. God actually manifests himself to us when we worship. And what it often is like is as we're worshiping God, God makes himself more present in the room than he was 
before. Now, this isn't contradicting God's omnipresence. Obviously, God is omnipresent. He's everywhere at all times. But he chooses to make us human beings more aware of his presence at given moments. That's what being filled with the Spirit is. That's what being baptized with the Spirit is. And in worship, when we're worshiping him, God will show up and make a certain aspect of himself more manifest in the room. So it might be his love. Maybe we're singing a song like How He Loves. And as we're singing that, God decides, okay, I'm going to show up and I'm going to make my, my love, this part of who I am, more present and, more, and make the people that are in this room more aware of it than they were before. Maybe it's his grace or maybe it's his glory or his greatness, etc. And what's cool is that he does this on an individual level and on a group level. So during worship, he meets all of us in an individual way, which is incredible. He might be ministering his peace to one person during worship, but then ministering his grace to another and his boldness to another and his greatness to another and his fire and his passion to another, so on and so forth. We all can be experiencing a different thing. But then there's also a way in which he manifests himself to us as a body. You see, when we gather together to worship, we're not just like all worshiping individually in the same room. You're supposed to hear the voice of the person next to you. You're supposed to see other people's hands up. You're not supposed to get distracted or be focused on that, but we're actually supposed to be worshiping together when we gather to worship. You know, it's not like going to a gym where walk in the gym, put your headphones in, zone out and block out the rest of your environment and everyone's like working out individually in the same space, but there's no connection. That's not what worship is supposed to be like. We're not all supposed to be just having our own personal encounter. We're all supposed to be worshiping together. And so God might release his love or his grace or some part of himself in a greater way to all of us as a collective body And that's what the worship leaders are trying to discern during those prophetic moments of worship. Like, what is God releasing? How is God manifesting a certain part of himself right now? And how can we join in with that? And so let me get back to the point I shared a while ago. Sometimes you have to, sometimes you should be led in worship, but other times you should lead yourself in worship. Why? Because while the worship leaders up here are taking the time to discern what God is doing in that moment, it takes time. And I can tell you from being someone who, you know, is in both worlds, both the world, you know, I'm up here leading worship sometimes and I'm in the congregation worshiping sometimes. As someone in both worlds, when a worship leader is up here trying to discern what God is doing next, and they look out and they see people staring at them like. <laughs> it does not help. <laughs> Again, I'm just being funny. But the point is, don't rely on the worship leader to lead you the entire time during worship. Like there might be moments where 
there is just not total silence, but like a period of almost like quietness. Maybe no one's singing anything. Maybe there's a time where just the musicians and the instrumentalists are doing something. And in those moments, you don't have to disengage. I know, I know that for a lot of you, you already know this, but I, for anyone who's never heard this before, you don't have to disengage. You can be worshiping even while the leaders up there are not leading you. And then, of course, when the worship, one of the worship leaders discerns what they believe God is doing and they start to lead the room in that, join in with that. You know, that's not just something for the really spiritual Christians to do. Like, all the basic Christians, we just sing the songs, but then the really spiritual Christians, they sing the prophetic songs. No, like, that's something for all of us to join into when one of the worship leaders starts to discern something that God's doing and they start to sing out, you know, something simple and repeatable. Join in with them in that. Why? Because we're actually tapping into a way that God has revealed himself prophetically in the room. And all of that, I would say, is what it looks like to worship with passion. But we also need to worship with a pure heart. It's not just about passion. It's not just about excitement. It's not just about enthusiasm. 2 Timothy 2.22 says this, Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. It's important to God that we call on him from a pure heart. And by the way, back there, I skipped the slide, just so you know. Part of worshiping God with a pure heart is understanding this, that worship is not primarily about what I experience or about what I get out of the worship. One of my favorite church sayings, if you will, is when someone came up to the worship pastor afterwards and said, hey, I just got to tell you, I didn't really enjoy that worship. I didn't, it just wasn't good. I don't, I don't think it was, I don't think that it was uh, really there. And the worship leader responds and says, oh, well, you didn't enjoy it? Well, that's okay because we weren't worshiping you. <laughs> And the stinging truth there is that's the right attitude to have. Now, is there a place for feedback of, hey, I don't feel like that song is, we did too many new songs all in one set and no one really could engage or we, you know, in that prophetic moment, we probably should have just moved on, but we lingered there too long. All that's valid. But when we're actually in the moment, it's not about us. And if, if the band starts doing a song that you despise, worship all the more to it. Amen. Worship all the more to that song. Why? Because that's actually a really powerful, unique moment for you where you can bear your heart before the Lord and say, Lord, you know I'm not just doing this for myself because I hate this song, but I'm still... I am still going to worship you passionately and, and expressively and not with a bad attitude because you're worthy of worship. Remember, that's what it's all about. God is worthy of our worship. And our worship is us 
ascribing to him with a pure heart from our hearts his worth through action. Also, biblical worship is more about living a life for God than it is simply about singing songs to God. Singing songs together in a corporate gathering is great. And we're supposed to. Biblically, we're supposed to. But worship is bigger than just singing. Listen to this convicting word out of James 3, 8 through 10. But no one among mankind can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. I spoke out of James 3, I forget, six months ago maybe, talked about taming the tongue, and I shared this particular story where I was literally memorizing that verse with my Bible open on my lap one morning when Jamie came in and she told me, hey, so-and-so is having this going on and we're not invited. And I'm like, what? How dare they not invite us? Blah, 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 blah. And I just start trash-talking this person with this verse open in front of me (laughs) that says, with the same mouth, we bless and curse, bless God and curse those who are made in the likeness of God. This should not be so. That was a convicting moment for me, to say the least. But this is true. We worship is bigger than just singing in, on a Sunday morning. Worship is about living a life. And, and we shouldn't just be honoring God with our mouths on Sunday morning, but we should be honoring him with our speech in our whole lives. Now, the devil is going to twist this and use it against you. He's going to twist this verse and make you think, man, I got in a fight with my spouse on the drive to church, and I said some really mean things, and I just have no business worshiping God this morning. That is not the right way to take this. God wants you to come and bear your heart before him. I mean, he wants you to apologize to your spouse before. Do that. But then he wants you to come and bear your heart before him, regardless of what mistakes you may have made the night before, the hour before, the minute before. But what this verse should do is motivate us to, as we're worshiping on Sunday morning, to carry that spirit, if you will, that essence into the rest of our week. We should let our worship of him lead us to, motivate us to have, to make less sinful mistakes, especially with our speech. And I kind of alluded to this already, but worshipful living, a great verse for this also is in Matthew chapter five, where Jesus says, hey, if you come to the temple to present an offering and you realize that you have wronged your brother or sister, leave your offering where it is and go reconcile with them first. And we can take that too literally, but the point that he's getting at there is that 
reconciling with people that you have wronged is, should be a top priority for us. And we, that is part of worship. That is just doing that, reconciling with someone that you have wronged or apologizing for a careless word that you have said is just as much worship as coming in here on Sunday morning and singing with our voices to God. This is why in Romans 12, Paul said, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. It's not just about singing, but worship is a lifestyle. And when we really believe that and know that, our heart, that is when our hearts become pure. So what is next for you? Is the Lord calling you to take a step of growth in passion? Or are you already a passionate worshiper? Could there be an even deeper cleansing of your motives and your heart when you're coming before him to worship? I want to help you, before we end, evaluate where you maybe are right now when it comes to worshiping with passion and a pure heart. I want to show you a little chart. I love charts. So we've got purity of heart and we have passion. When, if you look at passion, to the left would be lower passion, to the right would be higher passion, purity of heart. The bottom is lower purity of heart. The top part of the graph is higher purity of heart. So what does it look like to have worship that is both low in passion and low in the purity of motives? This would be ritual or disengaged worship. Ritualistic or disengaged worship. This is when this is this is people that show up to church, maybe don't even believe in God, but just because they've always been told to sing the songs. Just doing it out of ritual. Or it's maybe you do believe in God, but I just don't feel like I can connect at all in worship, and so I'm just going to stand here and wait till it to be over so I can get to the sermon. That would be this part. Square number two, what is it like when we have passionate worship with impure motives? This is more carnal or fleshly worship. This is when I'm worshiping my own experience, my own feelings, what I'm getting out of it more than I'm worshiping God. This is when... If I don't feel something from God during worship, I'm really upset and think it was a waste of time. What about when we have a pure heart, but we don't have passion? That is austere or somber worship. That's when we're worshiping, maybe, maybe we're thinking or we're very quietly singing, and we still are worshiping, but we don't look like someone who's in love. And we aren't worshiping in the way that the psalmist commands us to worship. We're worshiping in the way that we want to or the way that feels natural to us. We're worshiping in that sense. We are still even worshiping in a selfish way. 
And then obviously, passionate worship with pure motives. This would be mature and vibrant worship. So where you probably are going to find yourself is not dead center in one of these squares, but probably you could point, you know, if you think about how passionate am I and then how pure is my heart, you could probably map out where you feel like you might be right now. And I don't think the Lord is saying, I want you to go from zero to 100, but what is your next step? What is a way that God might be calling you towards greater passion and expressiveness in worship? And uh, can I get the keyboard player out? What is a way that God might be calling you toward a purer heart? Toward a heart that is more honest and less concerned about self. I believe the Lord cares about this because it's not just, we're not just talking about singing on Sunday mornings. This really is huge for our overall relationship with him. What is your next step of growth? Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we welcome your presence in this place in Jesus' name. Father, we want to worship you with passion. Lord, we also want to worship you with the right heart, with the heart that we're supposed to have, with the heart that's pure. So would you show us, would you show us any places of apathy? And would you release freedom to those areas? Yeah, I just believe for some of you, in worship there has been this block where part of you wants to worship more, but then another part of you is just like, no, I don't do that. Maybe it's the adults that were around you growing up didn't show emotion, or maybe you showed emotion or expressiveness at one point in your life, and you were, it was, um, that it wasn't valued, and maybe you were even in, um, you were even, uh, made fun of for that, um, made to feel bad about that. Maybe you are naturally a very emotional, expressive person, but you've been shamed about that your whole life. Like, you're too emotional. Calm it down. And maybe that's been a block for you in worship. I just see the Lord removing these blocks from our hearts when it comes to worship. And I think for some of you... I'm going to speak to musicians for a second, because I am one. It can be really difficult when you're musically minded to engage in Sunday morning worship because you hear everything that's happening, and you're analyzing it, and you're not even trying to, but your brain is doing that. If you're not a musician, this might still reply to you in some way, but I really want to speak to musicians for a second. And I want to tell you that It's not the Lord's desire for you that you just don't get to be a part of the corporate worship gathering with the body of Christ that you're a part of. 
Like God wants to free you from that overthinking of what's going on. And yeah, this music is simple. <laughs> like people often are like, I just hate worship music. It's way too simple. It's supposed to be simple because we're not putting the emphasis on the music. We're putting the emphasis on what we're singing and how we're praising God. And so there's a sense in which it needs to be singable. It needs to be something that a group can easily join in with. And so um, if that's, if you've, if overthinking worship has been something that you've struggled with, I just want to tell you that God has freedom for you. God has such freedom for you this morning. I believe you're going to be able to encounter him during worship like you never have before. So Lord, we come into worship with thanksgiving. We come in with anticipation. We come in ready to bear our hearts and our souls before you. Would you meet us here, Holy Spirit? In Jesus' name, amen.